Well, good morning. Man, it is wonderful to be together this morning. It has been a bit since I have been up here on a Sunday morning in front of all of you. And so I guess I should just take a moment to introduce myself. I don't know all of you, and I don't know that all of you know me. My name is Pat. I think we have a picture, maybe. My name is Pat, and uh, my wife, Kara, and our two children are in a photo that I'll show you later. Uh, my wife, Kara, and my son, Silas, age three, and Gianna, age one, and we are missionaries to the deaf of Jamaica. After working here at Community for five years, uh, God called us to move overseas, move to Jamaica, and now we have been called back to Zealand, Michigan, where we're working for the same ministry, the, the Caribbean Christian Center for the Deaf, in City on a Hill, the U.S. office. So I am just so thankful for this space. I'm thankful for all of you um, as believers and as fellow workers. Um, this space has been an amazing encouragement. You have prayed for me and my family. You have supported me and my family, and I just cannot Thank you enough. It is wonderful to be together this morning on this Labor Day. So this morning, uh, we're, we are between sermon series. Oh my gosh, there's our photo. <laughs> well, so that's me, Kara, Silas, and Gianna. We just had Silas's birthday yesterday. He turned three, so really special time. Um, thank you for finding the photo. Uh, so this morning, we're between sermon series, and Trent said I could talk on whatever I wanted. Maybe dangerous, maybe not. Uh, we just wrapped up Corinthians, and I think you guys are getting into worship next. And so we're going to be in the book of James. So if you have your text, we're going to be in James 4. We'll get to it in a little bit, but uh, I just want to pray for us this morning, and then we'll get going. So... Heavenly Father, I thank you for the space. I thank you for this time. I thank you for these friends here. Lord, this is your time, and I just pray that you use it. Help us to learn a little bit more about you. Learn a little bit more about your love and your grace and your plans for us. Father, I thank you for this time, and I pray that these are your words, not mine. In your name we pray. Amen. So, this is, I'm going to mess with this a minute, sorry. Every relationship we enter into has an impact on our lives, every single one. Now, obviously, some relationships are much more impactful than others, right? Like, your parents probably have more of an impact than your mailman, unless your mailman's, like, really a dynamic mailman. It's, it is possible, right? Yeah, I'm not counting it out. Al in Imperial Estates is awesome. Now, uh, you've, you maybe had teachers, right, that you have basically forgotten, but you've had other teachers that you are never the same for having interacted with them, right? Their worldview and their perspective has impacted yours. They've sh those teachers like that, they shape us. And so in all relationships, there's these different levels of impact that they can have on us, but for some of us, there are a handful of relationships that when we enter into them, 
There is no part of our lives that are unchanged. For Kara and I, those relationships have taken flight in the last couple of years. In 2017, we were married right here on this stage. And in 2019, Silas was born, thankfully not on this stage. <laughs> but those relationships of spouse and child are some of those relationships, right, that when you enter into them, they leave no areas of your life untouched. That might seem obvious, right? If you had a friend that got married and you said, hey, how is it like being married? And they responded with something like, you know what? Hasn't really impacted my life at all. I might think that is not okay, right? That deep, intimate union and connection has implications on your life, right? It impacts like where you're at on a Friday night or how you spend your money or where you choose to live, right? And so these relationships of spouse and especially child, especially young children, right? They have this profound impact on how you see yourself and how you navigate the world. And relationships can truly change everything. And this is never more true than your relationship with God. You know, if you were to tell humanity or you were to tell me, yeah, I have a relationship with God, I know God, well, I would say that that should impact every area of your life. It would be weird to say, yeah, I have an intimate connection with the maker. Sorry. I have an intimate connection with the maker of the stars, yet it has no bearing on how I make choices. That is an absolute crazy collection of sentences, right? Right? I know the one who created and will end everything. I know the one who spun the planets into motion. I know the one who created everything on this earth. Yet, it has no bearing on how I navigate or how I see the world. That, isn't, that is a crazy thing to say, right? And that, that's James's point in his book. We're just going to be in a couple chapters, or a couple, couple chapters, a couple verses. But you, when you read James, you'll see that if you have an intimate connection with God, it changes everything, right? It changes the way that you talk. It changes the way that you interact. It changes the way that you treat people, no matter where they're from or what they believe or how they spend their time or their money. And it changes the way you spend your time and money. And in today's passage, we see that it dramatically impacts the way that we make plans. The way that you make decisions in life should be shaped by the most fundamental of all relationships. And so, before we get into the text, what, what I will say is that what is interesting about James is he is not going to talk gently like a counselor. He's not going to say something very nice like, this should have implications on your planning. He's going to talk much more like a drill sergeant. And it, this text starts, now listen, you who say. And then he's going to talk to us. Well, he's going to talk to a certain group of people, and let's, let's, let's figure out who he's talking to. So James 4, 13 to 17 says this. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into this or that city Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? 
You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. All it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. The word of the Lord. James's language is broad. I wonder if you can relate with these five steps, right? James says that we will go, they plan to travel, into such a town, they plan to arrive, they will spend a year there, they're going to spend a certain amount of time, they're going to carry on business, well, they plan to do something, and they plan to make money, right? They plan for their, their, uh, their work to have a certain result. An outcome. So if you have ever said, I plan to go and arrive somewhere, do a thing that has a certain outcome, James is talking to you. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say James is probably talking to all of us, right? But James isn't just talking to us. He actually has a problem with us. Did you catch it? Did you catch that when he says, uh, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. Another text, he actually calls us arrogant, right? James has a problem with us, and why does James have a problem with us? Well, it's not a problem with just the act of making plans. We see that in verse 15. It's not a problem with us making a profit. Jesus tells us time and time again that our work should bring forth a certain result, and we should have a fair return for the work that we do. What James is getting into is this. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, this line right here is honestly why I used to really dislike this passage. Um, I don't know if you can relate to it, but I just thought the Bible was being super nitpicky right? Like I thought, so every time I want to go do something like drive home or eat dinner or go to bed, I first have to say, if the Lord wills, come on, right? That's crazy. But I just thought it was being super specific semantics. But that's not the case. James's issue isn't words. His issue is worldview, and his issue is perspective. And what he challenges in us is the presumption that we're going to go out and we're going to make all these plans, but you're missing some key data as you walk on God's earth. And what's fascinating is you notice who he's talking to. He's not talking to the people who just don't do anything, right? He doesn't say, those of you who sit on the couch and eat chips all day. No, he, he's talking to people who plan to move, who plan to get stuff done, who plan to have plans, right? He's talking to the people he's to, who are, who are go-getters. But what he's saying is before you mix things up, before you climb the ladder, before you get stuff done, before you go out to make money, you be careful that before you hit go, you don't start going to work without the right worldview. You don't, start, you don't start making plans when your perspective is off. Because if you do, he's going to call that arrogant, that you're missing some key information. And James challenges us in two areas, how you see yourself and how you see God. 
We need to have a right understanding of self and a right understanding of God if we're going to walk in the right way on the earth that God has made. So first, he's going to address how we see ourselves. Now, if you read this whole first section and you, uh, you'll notice that it's actually just one big long sentence with the simple sentence saying, what is your life? Right? It says this, today or tomorrow we will go into this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? He says, you're missing, you're missing some data. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. You're going out, you're making all these plans, and you presume tomorrow will happen. James says, that's presumption. We don't, we don't truly know. You know, the Bible warns us about this same thing all through the wisdom literature, right? That God wants us to take that in deeply, that we, we shouldn't assume that tomorrow's just going to roll on like every other day, but we should acknowledge our own limitations and that I have a limited visibility, and that limited visibility gives us humility. I don't get to control everything that happens. Someone else does. Right? As I said, Kara and I were missionaries, or are missionaries, to the deaf of Jamaica. And when we signed to leave our jobs here in West Michigan, when we signed to, and we sold our house and basically everything we owned, and we began support raising in that season, maybe some of you remember that, um, Shortly after, we found out that Kara was pregnant with Silas. <laughs> that was a surprise. That wasn't the plan. That brought a lot of uncertainty. What would the future hold? I don't get to control everything. God does. In those moments of confusion and tension and uncertainty, in that tension, we got the single biggest day of support raising that we have ever had. <laughs> okay, God, I can't see the future. You can. I don't control the future. You do. You know, we moved with a four-month-old in January of 2020, and as you are well aware, March of 2020 came pretty quick. Our mission, ministry, and lives change dramatically. We have a limited visibility. How could I have known that this was coming in early 2019 when I was signing those papers? How could we ever have known that this trifecta of international move, new parents, and global pandemic was coming? This was not the plan. this was not my plan, right? I don't get to control everything. This brought humility. I don't get to presume that I'm going to get what I want tomorrow. But, you know, humility is just James's minor point here. The main point is, what is your life? You don't know what's coming tomorrow. The reality is, is that we're just not here very long. James says in his text, you're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You're smoke. We're a vapor in front of the sun. There's a fragility to life, and that 
fragility should impact and shape my priorities. We don't know what's coming. You know, the death rate has been what it has always been, one per person. And thinking about this is actually the right thing to think about, right? Moses tells us in Psalm 90 when he writes, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. My fragility shapes my priorities. My challenge to you this morning is that nothing is more important than what you are doing right now. What matters is what is shaping you right now. Who is shaping you right now? But you know, the, the interesting part about this is that all of this is true. And I hope, I pray that it's a helpful challenge and encouragement to some of you, maybe to make that phone call that you've just kind of been putting off, or maybe to ask for forgiveness where you just haven't because maybe you've been embarrassed or you have some pride there, or, or, or maybe you've been thinking about joining this church and getting involved, but you just haven't got around to it, right? Uh, or, or maybe even you have been interested in serving internationally, but it just hasn't been the right time yet. I hope that this can shape how you make decisions right now, but um, my prayer is that you can say that you have done good with the few moments that God gave you here on this earth. And while all of this is true, none of this is distinctly Christian. Live every moment like it's your last. I mean, if that was the message, we could have just like uh, listened to the song, I Hope You Dance, or watch the movie The Bucket List, right? No, no, no. James isn't done here. James says you need to consider the other player in the game. Do you see God rightly? James says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. You know, your will does not determine what will happen tomorrow. But the, if the Lord wills, you will live. Well, and here's the good news. He wills it. We're all alive right now right? That is good news. I mean, come on. Life is a gift. Our relationships are a gift. And that gift of the grace of God should produce gratitude. I've noticed that it can often take a really dramatic and scary situation to truly understand this, right? You know, when we moved to Jamaica, we had no idea that in less than three months, we would receive a phone call that changed our ministry and our mission completely. The borders were shutting down. And we had to make a call that, based on no data whatsoever, we had no idea what was coming, and missionaries from all over the world were having to come back to the States, and they were having to make tough decisions for their lives and ministries and mission and families. And we chose to stay. And for well over half a year, there were no flights in and out. We were all in. We were there. There was no turning back. But wow, 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 wow. In those moments, life was a gift. Our relationships were a gift. And I was so grateful that as new parents and new missionaries, that we not only had a space to call our own, but we had a family unit that was healthy, and we had some amazing time to work on the most fundamental of all, 
relationships. You know, in those moments, too, as I think back on that time, God also gave us so many opportunities to meet people that we would not have met otherwise, to walk with students as they attempted to study virtually, to counsel families and counsel couples and individuals, and to even walk with a 14-year-old who had just gotten pregnant. God, you are directing my story. And when you realize that when we have the humility to ask God, what do you want me to do with this day? Who do you want me to engage with? Who do you want me to share your love and your grace with? James writes, if the Lord wills, we will live. And if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. You know, what I love about this is that everything exists, exists because God wills it too. Well, what does that mean? It means that God has a will. God has a desire. God has a journey. God has a purpose. That we're not accidentally here, but that God has made us and continues to let all this exist because he has a purpose that he is accomplishing and we can get on board with that. Ultimately, this understanding rescues us from a mundane life. Talk to a lot of people who, who believe that this world is just like this closed system, that the sun rises and sets because it always rises and sets, right? That I have to go to work to earn money, to buy food, to have kids so they can get an education, so they can work, so they can, so they can buy food, so they can... You get this point right? But this closed system doesn't breathe life or purpose or meaning. But when we realize that, no, no, all of this exists because the Lord wills it to, God has a will, and I can align my will and purpose with that will, well, that shoots every day through with extraordinary purpose, that I don't have to be here, that I won't always be here, but God has placed me here in this time for this purpose. And so let's not buy into the lie that this world is a closed system, that, the life, that life is continuing because God wills it to be so. And so if nothing else that we can take away from this morning, don't lose the wonder that, that is your life and that is this universe. But now here's the thing. Here's the thing. I have said all this, and for some of you, none of this sounds like good news. For some of you, you're thinking, so basically, Pat, your point is, I'm not in control of my life. Someone else is. Hate that message. Because some of you like control and hate being told what to do. Or maybe for some of you, someone had power over your life and they abused it, and they abused you. So talking about the sovereignty of God and your fragility bothers you. I don't like this. I don't want providence. I want my plan. Here's the reality, that in this passage, James uses the covenantal name of God. Now, we could talk about what the covenantal name of God means for an entire year and not cover it in its entirety, but at the root of it, this is the God who promises us hope and a future. 
It's not just some random person controlling my life, but it is the Lord who loves me. And how do I know he loves me? Because he's not asking you to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. That when God saw the wreckage of humanity, he did not stand far off, but his son would enter the story. And when Jesus stepped into the story, it wasn't as a king, but it was in humility. And he was gracious to those who was hurting. He was tender to those in pain. He was forgiving to all. And yet, what happened when he walked to this earth? He submitted himself to the will of God. And when the cross was looming, he asked the Lord, is there any other way? But he ultimately said, not my will, but yours. And he kept submitting his will to the will of the Lord, taking the sins of the world with him to the grave. But the story doesn't end there because his most tragic day became our most victorious and his death became our pathway to life. Amen? Jesus' submission to the Father, though painful for a season, exploded into life like a seed planted in the dirt that bears much fruit. And the same will be true of you. Submit to the will of the Father. Walk with him, and your life will be used in ways that you could never dream of. God's purposes are better than mine. I want to align my will with his because that produces wonder every day as an adventure full of opportunity. I don't know what's coming, but I know the one who's driving. And so for some of you, that might mean focusing on the relationships that have just kind of been neglected for one reason or another. For some of you, that might mean getting involved in this church. And I'm not just talking about Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings are amazing, but they're just a portion of what the Lord has to offer, right? You never know who you're going to meet, what doors are going to be opened, or what experiences or opportunities you're going to get just by showing up. You have no idea what the Lord has for you. And so we can't see the future, but what we can do is we can encourage one another today that you have been born for a purpose, that Jesus wants to use your life to make a difference, and he has positioned you exactly where you are right now for that purpose. So let's open up his word. Let's see what he has to say. You're not going to find the 50-year plan for your life, but what you will find is love and encouragement and purpose today. Align your will with the will of the Father. Prioritize the relationships that he puts in your path. Take the small brick of your life and put it on the cornerstone that is Jesus and his kingdom. That is my prayer for you and for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this space. I thank you for this time. I thank you for these people. Lord, I pray that your will be done, that you stretch us, that you grow us, that you reveal to us the plan that you have for us today. Father, I thank you for the blessing that is your word and the blessing that is your son. Show us ways in which we can glorify you 
and make your name known. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.